listening to this episode of Amateur All Tours. This week, we have a special and interesting episode, but first, I want to welcome back Mike Scott to the show. Mike, how are you doing? Uh, thanks for agreeing, for coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk uh, movies with you. Thanks for having me back, man. It's always fun to come and hang out with you on this show, so I'm, I'm always happy to do it. Perfect, perfect. And so this episode, Mike, I, I asked you to come on to discuss a, a rather interesting topic, and that topic is more or less shitty movies. And but we structured this episode to have pretty much three different subgenres that fit into this idea of shitty movies. But first, I want to ask you about the value of these quote unquote shitty movies. But also, just to be clear, I want to make the distinction between bad and shitty movies. So to me, and this is just my opinion, so of course this means it's the only right opinion, uh, bad movies are made and released on an almost regular occurrence, and with streaming platforms, we are exposed to them on an almost constant basis. Now, the difference between a bad and shitty movie is that bad movies are ones to me that you just typically forget about. Goes in one ear, out the other, your brain forgets the trash, you just watch because it's non-essential information. Now, the difference with shitty movies is that you cannot forget them. No matter what you do, no matter how much you try and regress it, your, your brain will not let you forget. And since we cannot forget, it, it raises the question of how, how can we cope with this? So my theory is that we do one of two things. One, we convince ourselves to find some good in these movies and try to genuinely enjoy them. Or two, we loathe the movie with such a passion that we have to get on some sort of soapbox and proclaim to the world how awful they truly are. And so this episode, we're going to be doing a bit of both. But before we delve into that, Mike, I want to ask you again, what value do you see in these quote unquote shitty movies? Well, I think, you know, I think almost any movie has value. I, I always kind of pride myself on trying to find I don't like talking negative about movies because I've, you know, worked with friends making movies. I've had some friends that have actually made actual features. And anytime a movie actually comes together, it's kind of a minor miracle. Um, so I think there's always value in, in these movies. And like, like you said, one of the things we kind of do is we either convince ourselves that there's some value in them, or at least we get a detached irony and, and detached joy out of out of some of these movies there's really only truly a few movies that i see on a given you know year that i would consider to be just sort of irredeemable um and, and a lot of times that's those are actually not the movies that people would think of they're not your drive-in quality ones to me they're usually the ones that the expectations should be higher the quality should be better and for whatever reason narrative choices or or what they just epically fail um and you know one of my picks is going to kind of hit that hit that point home um but i i think there's value in and plus you never know when a a shitty movie might actually bring you legitimate joy um sometimes there's ones that you just there you're like objectively i know this isn't good but this gives me such joy to watch that you know it doesn't matter at that point yeah exactly and and i also i was talking about my my one of my buddies about this and he's just like i really love uh listening to you talk about movies but my critique is that you don't uh trash movies or you you don't give them not, not necessarily fair criticisms but you always try and find the good and i'm like yeah i i tend to do that but i think it's with movies like this it's a, it's a thought experiment in a sense and that you're picking out the good 
in a sea of bad. And it also, I think it also more importantly allows you to not take things so seriously. And what made me want to do this segment is because I watched a film called Your Hunter from the Future. And to me, it's not even that bad of a movie, but it's not good. But goddamn, did I have a good time with it? And uh, Mike, have you ever heard of this movie? Oh yeah, I've seen it uh, several times. I oh, love your good. Yeah, I, it's it's so much fun. And and for those who aren't aware, because I maybe like a month ago, I had no idea what this movie was. One of my friends was saying, "Don't look up anything. Just this is the here's the box art, and we have to watch it. Like, don't look up anything, and just experience it." And so the way I'm going to try and describe it is that it's an Italian ripoff of Conan and Flash Gordon with all the cliches that you want. And also like a fun tidbit for the, the audience director is Anthony Dawes and which is the stage name of Antonio Margaretti, which I, when I found that out, which was as I was watching the movie, because I was like, this feels very Italian, Italian and, and it feels familiar, but I didn't quite understand why. And so when I looked it up, I found this out. I was like, Oh my God, this just enhanced the experience. And for those who think they recognize that name, you do, uh, especially if you're a Tarantino fan. He reference he references Antonio Margaretti in both Inglorious Bastards as Eli Roth's character at the climax climax of that film, as well as uh, the spaghetti western director that Leonardo DiCaprio worked with in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you do know that name, and I think it's like a nice Easter egg, and it made me appreciate both films way more after this. But with that being said, the film, like I said, is everything you want. The obvious dubbing, the laughable dialogue, the convoluted and derivative plot, the interesting but more or less like objectively incorrect use of camera techniques, the best awful miniature set pieces that I've seen. And also, I think the best part is the very obvious Flash Gordon like theme song. My favorite scene, uh, Mike, is the pterodactyl scene. It, and you know that, but yeah. to set the scene up for the, the audience, and hopefully this is kind of like, this is going to draw you into want to watch this movie. The scene is that our, our hero, Yor, his like love interest girlfriend is captured by this rival uh, gang of purple people, literally purple people. And they're like launched, they're hidden in a cave and the drawbridge is up. So how does Yor get into the cave? He doesn't climb the mountain. He doesn't scale anything. He doesn't find a secret way in. He takes his bow, shoots down this prehistoric pterodactyl, takes the dead body, and uses it as a hand glider. And this is where those all those those miniature set and like plastic uh, miniatures come in. Rides it into this cave and then proceeds to drop kick the leader of the gang and kill everyone. And I remember watching that and just laughing like. Not at the movie. I was laughing with it. So I was like, this was so awesome. So that, I hope, allows everyone to want to go see this movie. And but, but like I said, I think there's a, there's a place for these types of movies. But with that being said, let's get into this episode. So as I mentioned earlier, there will be three subgenres of, I guess, quote-unquote, shitty movies that we'll be discussing. The infuriating movies the So Bad They're Good movies, and Dealer's Choice. So that is literally anything that uh, Mike and I feel like we want to add to this conversation. So Mike, I'm going to let you go first. What is your first pick of your infuriating movie? So this is actually going to be kind of a, an, an interesting pick, I think, for a lot of people, because they're not going to think about it traditionally as a shitty movie or a bad movie. Uh, but I will say this is actually my most hated movie of all time. I saw this movie on opening night in the theater. It is a 
high caliber, big budget uh, Hollywood movie. It is uh, the 2000 movie Pay It Forward. And that uh, there's people now listening that I can just tell they're going to be going, huh? Let me explain why. When I mentioned earlier, what typically makes me the most mad about movies is movies, uh, you know, that the expectations should be better. And especially if those movies are in some way grotesquely emotionally manipulative. And there is, in my opinion, no more just grotesquely emotionally manipulative than this movie. For those who haven't seen it, it's basically, uh, I don't I won't get into spoilers, but it basically stars Haley Joel Osment, who uh, creates this sort of movement of pay it forward for every uh, person you meet that does something nice for you. You do three nice things for other people. Uh, no rewards. It should be a nice heartwarming movie, except the problem is it is so cloying. It is so saccharine. And without getting into spoilers, the ending of the movie completely undoes everything that the movie was trying to convey. Uh, and, and it's one of those where I almost don't, they, they clearly couldn't have realized that that's how the movie was going to end or, or that's the message that the movie would convey. Uh, but had the ending of the movie happened earlier in the movie, I would have actually stormed out. And I don't ever leave movies. I was actually angry. I saw this movie 20 years ago and I'm still mad talking about how much I dislike this movie. So Mike, I, I'm sure you've seen Pay It Forward before. Yeah, I have, uh, and this was like, you, you mentioned like some of the audience might be like, what? And and this was something I was saying off air in that when I proposed this to you, because this was like, when I thought of this topic after watching your, I was like, who, Mike is the only guy that I feel like I would want to have this conversation with, just with like the plethora of movies that you've seen. Um, and And when you said this, I was like, huh, not exactly what I was thinking, but I think this is good because the definition of, of shitty movies is, is very different for, for everyone. And, and I, I've seen this movie a while ago, like maybe when I was in middle school, because, and this is, this is going to be interesting. So, uh, I was in like CCD, like the whole like Catholic, uh, religious, uh, like school, like after school stuff. And, uh, it prepares you for everyone knows it prepares you for your like, uh, sacraments and whatever. And so my mom was actually the CCD teacher. And she kind of, I forget how the segue came up, but she brought up this movie, Pay It Forward, and that's how I watched this. And we had actually watched a few of the scenes in, like, during the CCD classes at night, uh, notably, like, the classroom scene when he, when Haley Joel Osment is describing this whole, uh, this whole idea, this Pay It Forward movement, and, and then specifically, like, the, um, the whole subplot with the homeless man that he that he gives a second chance he does something nice for him and and i just remember watching that even at maybe i was like 13 and my mom was like this does not mean taking a homeless man and let him sleep in your garage or something like that but it's just the uh, this idea of you know pay it forward do something good for someone although be it this is a very extreme situation and i guess how and then that where is where the emotional manipulation of the film comes in. And I remember thinking, this was one of, like I said in the beginning, like there's those bad movies that you just forget about. And I remember not liking it that much. And then I just completely forgot it. So I've, out of the three films that you're recommending, this is the one I'm least familiar with. But as I was thinking about it and returning and watching scenes, I definitely was like, yeah, this is even, even as I'm looking up the, uh, 
uh, just Wikipedia for just basic stuff. Uh, it, it says the film was released to mixed reviews with most critics uh, criticizing the story and accusing it of excessive emotional manipulation, it, particularly in its ending. So pretty much exactly what you're echoing. So yeah, this movie, from what I remember, I don't, I didn't like it, but it, it was one of those that I was like, huh, that's interesting that this would be your like most infuriating pick. And, and you're right, because the thing is, is all of this that we're talking about is, is completely subjective, right? You know, we, we try and pretend that movies, there's an objective scale, but there really isn't. It's just how does a movie make you feel at the time you see it? And for whatever reason, this movie just, it hit a, a berserk button in me uh, that kind of left me sort of not to not to get too hyperbolic but you know emotionally scarred for by how much i hated this movie when i saw it to the point that like you said you know there's bad movies that you watch and you just forget about and this one is burned in my brain because i just think the movie is so it it, it is more manipulative than a Lifetime Channel movie, but it's got multiple Academy Award winners in it. And it just, uh, it's got no business being the kind of movie that it is. So I, I do agree with you. When you mentioned this, I thought, well, that's probably not really going to fit in in kind of what we were initially talking about. But I was also like, but if I think of a movie that infuriates me more than any other movie, this is the one that I think of. So it, it seemed the most appropriate for me to talk about this one as the movie that just, aggravates me to no end and i was just thinking about this as kevin spacey being in it now does that like does that affect how you view the movies because people like kevin spacey are going to come up like in this discussion at the very end uh for for my last pick just kind of like teasing that but does kevin spacey being in this affect how you view the movie as like now as well like does it is it even like that extra sting because for me i feel like anything with kevin spacey now it i, I can't not i can't separate the actor and and the art which i i don't even like that that statement to begin with but i just every time i see kevin spacey it just like aggravates me to no end so i was i was curious if that if you have a similar reaction now where it's like i hated this movie but now i really really hate this movie but i'm just i'm just curious like i just thought of that off the top of my head i i do with most kevin spacey movies in fact it sucks because my family's uh favorite christmas movie of all time is the ref with dennis leary oh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't been able to watch that for a few years this one i don't think i could hate this movie any more than i already do so this is actually one of the times where it doesn't affect me very much because i already disliked his performance greatly in this movie um i thought you know this is k packs kevin spacey when he was just maudlin and and ridiculous um so it doesn't affect me as much on this one, primarily because I was never, ever, ever going to watch this movie again as long as I lived. And so, uh, but I will agree with you that other Kevin Spacey performances, uh, it really did. He is one of the problematic people that really makes it very difficult to uh, watch and, and get any joy out of any of his movies. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, just as a, a teaser again, the one we're going to talk about a little later in the episode. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's, to try and tease that, but yeah, it's because for me, it definitely would make it a little bit worse. But with that being said, I'm going to transition into uh, my first like infuriating pick. And 
And I think the theme is that this is probably my least favorite movie I've ever seen. So my pick is, I, I can't tell if it's 2011 or 2016. I've been getting mixed, uh, <laughs> mixed signals about when this movie came out. I'm going to say 2011, uh, The Amityville Haunting. Now, it is not the Amityville Horror. It is not any of the subsequent sequels. This is a found footage film about, quote-unquote, the Amityville house. Oh, my God. This film. I Mike, were you able to watch it? It's available on Amazon Prime. I was able to watch it, and, man, it's a good thing I like you because I yeah. was cursing your name when I was watching this movie. I was cursing myself. Like, I was like, fuck me. Like, I'm an awful person for doing this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good, man. I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you take it, you know, from there, but it, it is not good. Um, this, this movie. Like, okay, so the history that I have with this movie is that – I think I'm, this is why I'm inclined to think it was 2011 because I remember watching this movie vividly in high school and at that time it was available on Netflix. So that was when in high school you get like, get to, get together with your buddies, watch a movie like late at night, uh, just, just put just random trash on or just whatever movie we found on Netflix. And I was like, Oh, like Amityville. And I thought this movie was going to be like the Ryan Gosling or not Gosling, uh, Ryan Reynolds, a remake from the like early 2000s. Uh, it is not that. And I just remember watching this movie and being completely flabbergasted in just how awful and just lack of understanding of like film that this, that this movie has. And so the whole plot is that this family moves into the quote unquote Amityville house and we're following like the hauntings. It's uh, a, a, a couple like a uh, mom, dad, two, two sisters or two, two daughters and a son and older sister, uh, middle child's the, the, the son. And then the youngest uh, is the last daughter. And, and the son is just filming everything. Eventually there's like, uh, I guess surveillance tapes put into the house because the dad is, a military guy and he's uh into surveillance and he's trying to capture uh he thinks someone's breaking into his house and it i use the word escalates very loosely but the plot starts to escalate and oh my god okay i tried i rewatched this movie for this episode i got 15 minutes in and i had to shut the goddamn movie off because i'm like this is so unbearable and then i was like okay i have to finish it for mike because he's watching it. Like if, if I'm putting him through it, I have to watch it. And this movie just sucks. Like I hate it on in every sense of the word. There's it's I'm like I don't even know where to start. Like the characters, there there are no characters. Uh the acting is just awful. Let's start there. Let's talk about the acting and the characters or lack thereof. The only one that I think is trying is the dad. And I'll give him props. I'm like, he's given absolutely nothing and he's trying. He's not good, but he's the best of the worst, in my opinion. Uh, the mom, just, I, I don't know. She looked like she just stepped off of like a community theater, which is, I don't even want to say that because I've seen some really good community theater, but she's like, cut rate, I'll just take this role. The kids are literally just kids. And, oh man, so Mike, what, what, what do you have to talk about? Let's talk about the characters first, because I feel like I don't know how to break this movie down. 
there's not really many ways. I mean, it's the characters are absolutely insufferable. Every single character in this movie is, I don't know if it's because of the script or because of the performances, but they're all thoroughly unlikable. And the biggest problem with this is like a lot of found footage movies, and I'm not a fan of found footage by and large, uh, but like a lot of bad found footage movies, nothing happens in the movie until the last five minutes. So what you've got is the movie's 86 minutes long, probably 80 with credits, and you're spending 75 minutes with just these un insufferable, awful people. Um, and, you know, for five minutes of minor payoff. Um, they're, they're just, they're terrible. I agree with you that the dad's probably the best of the worst, but um, it, it just he still just comes across as completely almost abusive to the family in the way he interacts with them. Um, there's just not a redeeming performance in this thing. Yeah. And there's no, there's no reasoning behind why the characters are, are reacting or how they are. I mean, I'd say that the parents are probably the most well-developed and the dad just right from the get-go is super aggressive, like giving off of these vibes that he's like, sexually abusing like every, like at least his wife and and the teenage daughter like just being very overly aggressive and and i guess you're supposed to gather that he has ptsd from some un like unnamed war that he fought in but and that kind of but it just comes out of nowhere when when he starts like freaking out in the end and he's just acting in such a way that just doesn't make any sense and I, the one person that I want to give the most shit for is is the the son, the son character, uh, Luke or so. I forget. I don't even remember the kid's name. <laughs> Tyler, according to Wikipedia. Oh, Tyler. I had to look that up. I wouldn't have remembered that, but and, yeah. And it's like, and I don't want to be like that guy that's like making fun of like a thirteen year old, but he's just so insufferable. Like I just can't like i just like don't like him in any sense of the word i just find myself like i'm like and i feel like a like a jack i'm like oh your stupid haircut you just use your stupid vans like i hate your stupid face and it's not even the kid's fault he's not an he's not an actor but it's just like he has a shit eating grin every time he comes on the screen and he's just so smarmy and i'm like I want to punch you in the face. And, and I feel so bad saying that about this 13-year-old kid that is probably just excited that he's in this movie. But, oh, my God, like, he is so insufferable. Well, and you bring up kind of an interesting – though that rant you went on kind of brings up what I think is an interesting thing, that with these really bad movies, these bad movies that we don't get any joy out of, you get almost what's kind of a cascade effect, where when the movie loses you – all of a sudden, every little thing starts to annoy you to where you're at the point where if that kid doesn't get a haircut by the end of this movie, I'm going to punch him in his stupid face, right? Because everything in the movie is just failing to work, failing to grab you and bring you in. You know, the best shitty movies still pull you into their world. They still get their claws into you and make you invested in what's going on in the movie. And you overlook all the bad acting and the bad special effects and the bad filmmaking. But if the movie fails to grab you like this one so epically does, then everything just stands out. I mean, the other thing I wanted to talk about in addition to the acting is, you know, contrary to what a lot of 
amateur filmmakers think there is film technique in making a found footage movie. It's not just taking a camera and shaking it around. You know, you, you actually do have to compose shots and, and, and stuff like that. You know, the best found footage movies are heavily composed. They're just so well done that they make it look like they're not heavily composed. This looks like it was uh, filmed by a, you know, tweaker going through a massive 48 hour binge i mean this thing is so badly shot half the time you can't tell who you're supposed to be looking at in the frame i, I mean it, it actually hurts the eyes to watch this movie it's so badly shot and i think like you you're saying like oh it's like it might be, or it feels like it's being filmed by like a tweaker i think it's genuinely being filmed by this 13 year old kid and which I, because you can very clearly tell when there's a i'm gonna use this term loosely uh, a camera operator because at least like the camera like you can kind of see there's some sort of blocking and, and he's trying like whoever's operating the camera at least has it in focus because whenever the kid has the camera it's so it's clearly not in focus there's random shots like it just feels like hey kid here's this camera like go film and that's not how you do this um I, with tech, with guys like us, I know, like kind of have a little bit more behind the scenes of how films are shot. You can clearly tell when it's ADR versus the kid is actually holding the camera, and it's just like happily. Like, I remember there's one shot where I guess they're they're referencing or they're like uh, referencing the power line, which ends up killing someone in the end, or like towards the end of the movie, and they're like it's like a slight buzzing, and they're like wait, what's that? And then they turn to the 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 line. I'm like, wait, no, what is, what's going on? And it's just like a screen, but it's not focused correctly. And you're like, wait, what the fuck am I looking at? And it's just an insert shot. And I, this kind of transitions into this lack of story that any, like you said it, nothing happens in this movie. And when something happens, nothing happens. Um, I, the first 15 minutes, we have this opening, I guess, like, so we'll, minor spoilers I, i'm not expecting anyone to watch this movie unless you're like severely like hammered um but the opening shot we have this kind of typical oh teenage like kind of like michael myers like kids going to this house or uh, halloween kids going to an abandoned house to party and have sex and those kids are unbearable as well but they go in they die and then we hard cut to the family moving in how that audio like how that how that film made it into the the opening with no cut whatever fuck it there's no logic to this movie and then the family moves in and within i'm i'm led to believe in one day like two people die in this house am i wrong in that and that's when i shut the movie off when the second death occurs within it's, one day it's hard to tell the time frame it, it it seems like it i mean that's the way the movie makes it seem but then to me it's like the characters don't really react like they've had these two things happen right back to back it's it's really it, there's no sense of time in this movie uh i don't know how long the movie takes place it feels like it's only over a matter of a couple of days but it's it's really hard to tell um but uh yeah it's uh yeah. I don't know how much more we even want to talk about this thing. Yeah. And I just feel like it is over those five days because they have those, because it's not on purpose, because 
they have like oh like day three like june whatever and then it just keeps going one day at a time it's not like the shining where it's like monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday or something like that they have like specific dates and that like again that's just like piling on top and then the end of the movie it just kind of ends and you're like wait what like the whole spoiler alert the whole family gets killed by these ghosts and we get these autopsy like screenshots that there's even fucking uh spelling errors within these autopsies and you're like oh my god like you couldn't even spell the word like exhumed correctly or 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 like massive burns like you're like oh my god so this is the movie like as you can tell in my in my ranting and voice that this movie I absolutely dis, like despise and if anyone if you if anyone wants to watch it sure it's it's available on Amazon Prime like go nuts but I had to turn it off after 15 minutes and the only reason I watched it was because I knew I was putting Mike through this torture yeah yeah you uh you you cashed in a friend card on this one i'll tell you that much um the one last thing i do want to say is the director is an actor by the name of jeff mead and he is in what i actually think is a good shitty movie from the 90s he co-stars with mark dacascos in kickboxer 5 the redemption which is actually a, a very good shitty movie so watch that one instead if you if you need some jeff mead uh love that's that's the better option to go with is he like actually like a character is he like a background dude that no he's he's the second lead in the movie and he's actually good he's he's got some pretty decent martial arts skills and and he's uh uh an an interesting person to play off mark dacascos because if people have seen john wick three or that you know mark dacascos is incredibly charming and likable and jeff needs sort of the stoic silent one in the movie so they kind of bounce off one another a little bit and it, it actually is a it's a good shitty movie it's it's not good but it's a lot of fun so definitely check that one out over this one please huh interesting interesting all right so with my rant being done let's get into you know more fun stuff so let's get into the so bad they're good category so mike what is your uh your pick for the so bad it's good so anybody that knows me knows i'm a huge horror fan uh horror and action are kind of my things uh and this one is to me the definition of of so bad it's good it's a 1984 film from beverly sebastian and if anybody recognizes that name she's the director of the gator bait movies and and a lot of 70s and 80s exploitation movies this is a horror film that she made called rocktober blood it's a australian horror film uh that stars nobody uh, of any note the most important thing about it is <clears throat> the soundtrack is done by an australian metal band called sorcery that was very popular in, in australia in the 80s um and the music in this i think if you like like 80s metal at all the music in this movie just absolutely kicks ass uh plot is very straightforward lead singer of a metal band uh goes crazy one night kills off uh a lot of people like recording engineers and and tries to kill uh his girlfriend in the band and and stuff like that um and the he gets caught the movie then jumps forward two years later where his girlfriend is now the lead singer of the band and a killer he has been executed but a killer that looks suspiciously like him has come back and i don't 
I don't want to say anymore because the major plot twists in this are just ridiculous, but the whole thing culminates in a 20 minute long concert where they basically play the entire soundtrack and it is beautiful in its ridiculous exploitation ways. Um, so this is a movie. I, I watch this movie fairly regularly, typically every October. I just get so much fun out of this movie. Were you actually able to watch this one, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I found it. And so these, these last two I was able to watch, um, and you were able to uh, point me in the right direction. I believe this one, is it this one that's available on YouTube? It's available on YouTube from the uh, filmmaker's own YouTube uh, channel. So it is officially available on YouTube. You're not watching a pirated copy. I mean, the quality's still shit. It's just a VHS rip, but you're not watching. I, I actually bought a, a DVD of it on Amazon and it's basically the DVD is from the producers as well. It is just a burned DVD-R of the version that's on YouTube. So um, yeah, you can freely watch it on YouTube in an official capacity. Cause, yeah, because I watched it on YouTube at, from your recommendation and your second pick I actually was able to find on YouTube as well. Um, but, and we'll get to that. So this is actually interesting. So I did watch it and, but I was like, this, why does this sound so familiar? And then I looked it up and I started watching a bit of it. I'm like, this sounds like something that red letter media would watch for like best of the worst. And uh, like, every Halloween they have a rock focus horror film and lo and behold, I, I watched the movie and then I looked it up uh, just like uh, red letter media, uh, rocktober blood. And sure enough, they were, able, they did watch it on a, their play. Uh, it was best of the worst, but it was a Plinketto. So they watched it randomly and I, and so I, I have watched their like snippet review of Rocktober Blood, and yeah, this is definitely there's so much going on. Like it's it's both a it's it's like a it's it's like a hard rock. If you really love heavy metal, like this is for you. The for the opening credits are just like a five minute interlude of them recording this song, and I'm with it. I mean, it's not this isn't my favorite genre of music, but I'm like, eh, I'm I'm digging the song and and just how long and how just it commits to it and then um and then even just it, it kind of becomes like a whodunit is you know is our main heroine is she going crazy like what's going on and then it kind of throws it on its head like it kind of throws the mystery out the window and it just goes balls to the wall of embraces of what it is and then yeah that 20 minute or like that ending climax like concert if you if you will, that is great. I love the final, how they dispatch of, or if you want to say dispatch of, of the villain in the end. And, and just, I, I love it where it's, I, I'm back. And you, you, like, you, you understand what that means without going into spoilers where I'm back. And I thought that was just like, I, I was like, yes, this is, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. And, and yeah, I really enjoyed this movie, especially for what it was. I, I rolled with it as as opposed to Amityville Haunting. I, I rolled with this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so off the wall and it's so over the top that it's hard not, you know, the first time I saw it, I, it, I was, I loved that opening five minutes and then I was just kind of like, ah, okay, you know, and then, but then, yeah, if you make it through it and you get to that ending, all of a sudden, you like retroactively think better of the rest of the movie. And this is one of those movies that every time I watch it, I just enjoy it more and more. Actually, after watching it this time for this podcast, I jumped online and found the soundtrack in vinyl and ordered the soundtrack. Um, so, you know, 
I just, it is what we want out of these shitty movies. It's crazy. It's over the top. It's borderline incompetently filmed, but it's got just enough style. And like you said, that ending, the way they dispatch the, the villain, it's got just enough style to make it not the Amityville haunting, to make it something really kind of special. And, and so this is just oh, so much fun for me. Yeah, and Trey Lauren, I believe, is like the main, I guess, he, he's the, he's like the main rocker. And yeah. he, he like, again, in the last movie, there was no character that I, that I enjoyed. Here, I was like, I really like this guy. He's not good, but he's like just enough camp that makes me want to keep seeing him more and more. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I thought Rocktober Blood was very much entertaining as... I don't want to say nonsensical, and I don't, I don't even want to use the word incompetent. It's just, it's the per, it's the lightning in a bottle, which is another reason I think like movies like this are great. Like something like Samurai Cop or The Room, like they're all lightning in a bottle, and then inevitably they try. Well, I don't think Rocktober had a sequel. I they think they not. had a they had a I think they had a Kickstarter, but then that turned into be some fraud thing. I know Red Letter Media goes into it a little bit more, but typically with these types of movies, they always try and have a sequel and they are always not as good because you just can't, it's lightning in a bottle. You can't recreate that level of, I guess, I don't want to say crap, just, I guess magic. Let's just say magic. But yeah, no, I think this is a very great pick for So Bad It's Good. Thanks. Yeah, I thought you might like this one. Yeah, no, this was, and this was definitely refreshing after Amityville Haunting. So... (laughs) Uh, and I feel like any movie is refreshing after that, but I could watch paint dry and I'd prefer that over Amityville haunting. But anyway, so I'll transition to my so bad is good. And mine, I feel like, I I feel like it's a pretty well-known, uh, so bad it's good. I wouldn't say it's on the room level, but I think it's, it's up there. And I'm of course referring to Birdemic. James, uh, Nguyen, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And this film, the, the backstory is just as fascinating as the actual film itself. So, okay, Birdemic. How do I even describe... Let me just read the IMDb of it. A horde of mutated birds descend upon the quiet town of Half Moon Bay, California. With the death toll rising, two citizens manage to fight back. But will they survive Birdemic? So that, that's what IMDb describes the movie as. Uh, what it's missing is the heavy uh, themes, quote-unquote, themes of uh, global climate destabilization and the birds representing the fears of, you know, environmental, like the environment fighting back. Kind of like the happening, nature is sending a message back to humans to, you know, clean up their act through death. But that description happens... Let's, let's just say that that's not the movie. Like, that happens a little bit later into this, uh, I guess, what, how long is this movie? Uh, hour, 45 minute? Let's just say that happens a little bit later. So, phew, this movie, man. Like, how, let's talk about the backstory real quick. So, James Nguyen made this movie, Birdemic, Shock and Terror, 2010, and he actually, and Vice did a whole, uh, Vice News did a segment on this. And he tried getting this screened at Sundance. Now, of course, they said, fuck no. And so, but, you know, and I admire this dude's grit. He said, well, if Sundance isn't going to screen my movie, I'm going to host my own screening. 
he rented out a bar somewhere in like the local Sundance area, printed hundreds of flyers, threw them, literally threw them all over the area, decorated his car with like uh, fake, obviously fake dead birds, painted birdemic in blood. Like he messed up his car and drove around with a megaphone saying like, no, he drove around with a megaphone playing, I think the bird noises that are played in this, in this uh, film. And then that obviously drew a crowd and it drew Vice News. And then we get this whole thing of the, this expose of him as a director, him as a person, his views on the film. So that's the background. Uh, before, I guess, Mike, do you have any uh, comments about the background? Did you know anything about this going into it? Yeah, I know I a little bit. For those who, who don't know me that well, I, I actually live in Salt Lake City, Utah. So it's actually Sundance right now. So I remember, you know, kind of when some of this stuff was, <clears throat> was going on because I usually go to Sundance every year. I'm taking this year off, but I usually go every year. So I do remember that. And I remember that he also got very, very crossways with uh, a lot of the cast and that because he, he's not exactly, doesn't exactly seem like uh, the nicest dude on the face of the earth. I don't, I don't want to like slander him, but just based on what some of the other cast members have said and stuff like that. So I was familiar with most of this, but I don't have much to add to it other than that. Yeah. And so he kind of, so James Nguyen pretty much thinks of himself as the next Stanley Kubrick. You see this film that is not true but he he ha he he likes to think that he is so then you get the movie and boy i i feel like it's the same level of just non understanding that amityville haunting has but here it's just you enjoy it more and i think it's the mixture of our main character rod who's just like the, he's an android like he he just doesn't know how to act he's literally could put a, a piece of wood in front of there and just like voice over the wood and you'd have a better performance. And then you get a mix of like, okay, like people trying. And then, but it's just so like, what is going on? At least here you could kind of follow the progression of the plot. Whereas Amityville Haunting, nothing happened. But here we just get so many environmental messages just jammed down your throat. And it's just this complete, disregard of like how movies are made i don't even want to say it's avant-garde but i guess it is but I, man this movie is just something special it's it's definitely something special and it's funny i'm now looking at if this if you want to put this as a um anything about james Nguyen, he has tippy hendron third build uh because of archive footage of the birds which i don't even remember the birds playing but he has tippy hendron as a cast for like the third build of this film yeah yeah it, it's you know and this is the type of this is this movie's pretty i had actually obviously i was very familiar with this movie but i had never gotten around to watching it until you said you were going to talk about it um it it's a lot like the room in that you can really tell james Nguyen was he thinks he's making a good movie here like he in this one he thinks he's making his masterpiece um you know and and it is interesting because it's not as bad as amityville haunting because there is some real passion as incompetent as it is there's some real passion behind the the making of it and uh some of the cast particularly whitney moore who actually has gone on to to do other things and has turned out to be a pretty 
decent actress and very likable hosting presence. And she's got a couple podcasts and stuff like that. Um, you know, he's got, there's some more value here. Plus some of it is just intentionally hilarious. I mean, we've got to talk about the two dimensional CGI birds that were clearly done on, you know, I could do better than that on my phone, let alone if I had a decent computer. But uh, uh, there's, there is just, there's almost a quaint innocence to this movie that makes it, it's boring, but it's also enjoyable. Uh, so I, I think this one fits right in that category of, of so bad that, you know, you still really like it. Yeah, and you're mentioning those birds, like the two, dim- it's, guys, it's literally two dimensional birds. Like you, it's, it's like, te- it's like cheap texture things. And when they appear, you just kind of give this big, like, oh my God, like that's amazingly awful. And my favorite moment of the movie is when, the birds are finally introduced. Like I was saying when I read the plot, quote unquote plot synopsis from IMDb, that yes, what it says happens, but like the second half of the movie and when the birds are finally introduced, it just comes out of nowhere and the birds come in and they're like dive bombing into house, like literally dive bombing with plane sounds. Like they're in 1940, like they're uh, kamikaze pilots and things are exploding. People are just, like, it's insane why things that are happening. It's just off the walls of what's going on. And, and you're just like trying to keep up. And then because you, 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 like, you see things and you're still kind of processing it. And then something else happens. You know, we have bird acid that melts, pe- melts quote unquote, people. Uh, we have these, <laughs> we, we find like kids that are on the side of the road and are, our two heroes adopt like adopt them and then they just go about their day like nothing like the birds aren't attacking people uh we have the famous coat hanger scene when they have to leave this hotel and they just start swatting at these fake birds with no music uh and they're just swatting at the air and you and you just have to think like what were these actors thinking when they did this uh and and seeing the behind the scenes uh interviews with this they definitely were like, yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing, but I guess it was, we were getting paid and it was a funny story, but, and, and I think everyone, like in hindsight, you can be like, yeah, this is, this seems like a lot of fun, but in the moment, especially if James Nguyen is such a dick, you're like, this is so stupid. And you can kind of tell that half the time, like they just aren't, they don't care. They're just like, whatever, let's just get through the day. Well, and they're not getting any direction either. It's pretty obvious he knows nothing about how to direct actors. I mean, you can just tell that they're, you know, some of them, especially, again, I'll, I'll single out Whitney Moore. She's trying her best, but you can tell she's a, a new actress and she's not getting any direction at all. Because sometimes it's like part of a director's job is to sort of help actors modulate the performance and everybody here is just all on the same level all the time. And, and that's just a failure of directing. Uh, but it also kind of creates some of that charm. You know, like I said, this is very similar to the room to me. It's that same kind of vibe when you watch it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So uh, guys, this is also available on Amazon prime. So this one I actually do recommend checking out. Uh, there was a, how I originally heard about this was through a YouTube channel uh, called JonTron. He's a pretty, uh, I guess, well-known YouTuber. Got multi, like multiple, vi- or lots of like millions and millions of views. 
I'm not sure of his subscriber count, but it's probably in the million, like way in the millions. Uh, this is one of his older videos. And if you don't feel like, I feel like watch that first. So you get like the basic points and hit and beat to the movie. And then maybe get your friends together, treat it like the room, maybe get a little drunk and make fun of the movie. Like, I think it's, there's, there's, there is something here for everyone, I think. But yeah, I, I, the word recommend, it's not like, it's not like how I recommend like Whiplash or Dawn of the Dead. Like, that's like, everyone has to see this movie. I'm, this is like another sense of the word recommend. And like, if you want to have a good time with maybe a little bit of alcohol involved or your friends are there, like, this is the movie for you guys. Yeah, I agree. That's the perfect way to describe it. So now we're going to get into the dealer's choices here. Now, this, uh, I, I'm not quite like this is just whatever you want. It could be, it could have been an infuriating movie. could have been so bad. It's good. Uh, in my case, it's, I don't even know where to classify it. So let's Mike, let's get into your uh, last pick. What's, what is your dealer's choice here? So uh, my dealer's choice is a 1993 Hong Kong movie called future cops. Um, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, you know, I am a big fan of Hong Kong cinema in the eighties and nineties because uh, it was one of the most exciting and interesting places uh, where films were being made at the time. In that group uh, of the John Woo's and the uh, Choi Hawks and the Ringo Lambs is a dude by the name of Wong Jing, who's still making movies as we speak. And Wong Jing was basically a brilliant marketer, terrible filmmaker, who had the idea of essentially just throwing everything he could into his movies. His movies always wildly vacillate between really horrific violence and super cheesy comedy and really like bathroom potty humor stuff. Well, around this time in 1993, uh, for those of you who aren't old, uh, Street Fighter was one of the most popular games in the world. And Wong Jing did not have the rights to make a Street Fighter film, but Hong Kong cinema at the time being what it was, that did not stop him. So Future Cops is the story of a group of future cops uh, played by some of the biggest actors in Hong Kong at the time, Andy Lau, Jackie Chung, Aaron Kwok, Simon Yam, who have to come back in time to protect uh, this person that's basically a ripoff of Terminator, the bad guys go back. But our characters are all Street Fighter characters. So like Andy Lau is basically Vega and Jackie Chung's basically Guile. And the bad guy is General Bison. And uh, Ken is on the bad guy's side. But, you know, as the movie goes on, starts to switch. Um, you know, it is a Street Fighter movie. It is 100%. They have the powers. They, they, they're throwing them. Ken and Ryu are throwing Hadoukens at one another. Vegas got his claw. Uh, you know, Simon Yam plays Dalsim. He's got the stretchy arms and the legs and everything. Um, to be honest with you, it's a better Street Fighter movie than the Van Damme official Street Fighter movie, even though I love that movie and actually thought about recommending that one too. Um, but it is a ridiculous mishmash of movies. It makes no sense. You almost feel like you're in kind of a fever dream as you're watching it because it just, no one scene really makes any sense with the scene that came before it. 
complete with the point that not to get into spoilers, but it's future cops. What am I going to spoil? One of the characters actually turns into Goku from Dragon Ball Z rather than a Street Fighter character. Um, it, it it, it, it's a it's what I love about Hong Kong cinema. This movie defies description. If I tried to sit down, as I'm trying to do right now, and explain it to you, it would fail. So you just need to trust me and watch the movie. Mike, I do know you watched this one. So what did you think of Future Cops? Uh, I had a, very much like your, had a really good time, but I was like, what the hell am I watching? I, I, I didn't realize that it was going to be uh, like Street Fighter related because I remember in the in the opening scene we're in the future and we have the like the fighting sequences and not knowing like I thought it was gonna be like a Hong Kong movie like a Hong Kong like a martial arts movie and I was like okay like it's gonna be a little cheap and then all these powers start to come into play and I was like oh okay like the whirlwind kick that mm -hmm. I was like oh okay this is the movie we're gonna be in right now um and then the humor was really odd to me, like well, odd in the best of ways. Like I went with it, like almost all the time I went with it because I just kind of like, okay, this is the movie, but it just like throws you in. And I didn't, at first I didn't know how to take it, but then once we get back into, I guess the past of 1993, I went with the movie a lot more, but then like halfway through the movie, I forgot what, like what we were watching, like what the movie was about because it just, it doesn't stay on focus. It just, it, it feels like someone that is just like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. And they just go on tangents and ta a tangent upon tangent upon tangent. And like the moment that I just was like, the movie really, like I really invested myself in the movie was probably like the midway point when the love ballad came on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm into the movie now. I mean, not that I wasn't going with it before, but I'm like, okay, again, not taking, I'm not taking it that seriously, and the movie's not taking itself that seriously. And this is the movie that I was able to watch on YouTube, but that love ballad was, like, the whole thing is subtitled except the love ballad. So I was just watching these, like, wacky visuals, and and that's also the kind of the fun part of watching uh, uh, like foreign movies sometimes without subtitles is you just project whatever you want on there. And I had no idea what was going to come next because at one point they're dancing and then they go back to like, uh, I guess like the ancient, like, uh, like Japanese to like uh, feudal times. And they're like having kids and stuff like that. And they're like changing diapers. I was like, what the fuck is he saying to this girl? Um, but, and, and then, and then suddenly an hour into the movie, the villains come into the movie. And I was like, oh, okay. But, and then there's like, and then they come back in, but then there's a track sequence when the main character is like, they're helping him win at sports. And it's like, wait, what is going on in this movie? So I was, I was going with a lot of the humor just because it's, it's not taking itself that seriously. And I really did in, enjoy this. Uh, and I was like, and as I was watching, I was like, only Mike, would recommend this. And I mean that as like the most, like I mean that as a compliment. And this is why I wanted to pick, I, I asked you to come on and, and have these recommendations because I don't think anyone that I know outside of you would recommend a movie like this. So like, how did you, like, so did you see this when it came out? Like, how did you stumble upon this? I saw this, so I started getting into Hong Kong cinema 
right around the time this came out, but it was really hard to find movies. A lot of them didn't get imported here. If they did, they were very expensive. Um, but I happened to have a, a local theater here in Salt Lake that at the time would, what they would do is they would buy the laser discs and then they would, they would copy them onto VHS tapes and rent out the VHS tapes, which is probably not legal, but you know, <laughs> for somebody like me, I didn't care because it was the only way I was ever going to see these movies. And so I, I tried to absorb every Hong Kong movie I could get my hands on. And then there was a company called Tai Sing uh, that's long since gone out of business that actually got into business importing these Hong Kong movies on VHS and Laserdisc and eventually DVD uh, for a reasonable price. And so I don't remember exactly when I first saw this. I want to say it probably would have had to have been around 1998 uh, would be when I first saw it. I've seen it a handful of times ever since then because it's it's not good. And, and you're right. I mean, that's Wong Jing's hallmark, the juvenile humor that makes almost no sense. Everything's almost like a non-sequitur, right? It just mm -hmm. bounces from thing to thing to thing to thing. But there's such an energy. Uh, the thing I can say about a movie like Future Cops, and this is one of my favorite things with sort of shitty movies, is when one hits, you get done with it and you go, I've never seen anything like that before. Like, you can honestly say after you watch Future Cops, you've never seen a movie like that before in your life. <laughs> and that, that's a special thing. That is a thing to, uh, to, to cherish. Whether you like the movie or not, that doesn't happen. When you watch as many movies as we do, that doesn't happen very often. So that's why, even though I think this movie is, you know, it's, it's a bit of a tough watch if you're not going with it the whole way. I actually found it this go round to be a bit tougher uh, of a watch than I have in the past. But it still feels like such a unique time capsule of uh, a country and a filmmaking movement and, and a time uh, because this movie could only have been made in early 90s Hong Kong. Anybody else tries to make this movie, it's just not going to work. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, this definitely felt like that was the moment in time that something like this could be made. Like yeah. it, it was in the right time, right place, right people behind it. And it's not even like, I, and it's, it's kind of like a, your situation where you're like, it's not like incompetent. Like you can see like someone kind of knows what they're doing and they're not just like throwing the camera wild. And they're like, you know, some of the effects that they're doing like are cheap. Like when they use the one guy as a broom because he's got the long hair and you're like, okay, that's very clearly a dummy. But when they go into the, uh, like I'm thinking about when they go into the arcade machine in there and they're the Mario characters, like mm -hmm. it's, it looks cheap as hell, but I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting concept that ju just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then the weird, and then the weird line that, oh, I can't, we can't have sex because AIDS just completely wiped out. <laughs> wiped out. Yep. So yep. To, they're not have sex because we have to let the people with AIDS die. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. They're not allowed to have sex in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I thought it was going to go more as like Demolition Man, where it's like, oh, like physical touch is banned, but we have sex like virtually. No, they're just like, no, you just go to like an insemination lab and they like plant a baby in you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is very weird. Where it's, and it's like so like of the time. Not this like the, I mean not to say like the the whole AIDS HIV like that was more I feel like an eighties thing and carried into the nineties but I was like ooh that is like you can't say that today <laughs> like, right 
weird line to say but you know even like there is like some form of like they're trying to be creative so when she eats the mu- or eats the mushroom or the the flower and she grows or she grows and it's just very clearly a doll and she's talking to the doll and i'm like that's still like there's still creative there's still creativity with its restraints and i appreciate that even how nonsensical and weird it is i i I found myself just going with a lot of it even like the whirlwind kicks like that i feel like is is so iconic of the movie or just like the weird humor but yeah no i really enjoyed this one i'm glad this was this was a really good like dealer's choice yeah, and, and, you know, and you mentioned that it's not totally incompetent, and, and it's not. One thing I do want to point out on this is uh, it, the cinematographer is uh, a guy by the name of Andrew Lau, who would go on uh, 15 years later or 10 years later to make uh, a movie called Infernal Affairs, which mm-hmm. is uh, the basis for Martin Scorsese's The Departed, and is a movie that some people, myself included, actually think is superior to The Departed. Um, and the action choreography is by a, a, a Chinese or a Hong Kong choreographer named Ching Siu Tung, who uh, was the stunt coordinator on Sam Raimi's Spider Man. I mean, there mm-hmm. is some real talent in this movie. Um, it's just that Wong Jin's such a lunatic, and the way Hong Kong movies were made. They made them fast and they made them cheap. I mean, this thing was probably shot in 10 days, you know? And so it just, they move, they move, they crank out movies and uh, you get something pretty special with, uh, with the, these movies. Yeah, exactly. And so with that, we're going to transition to the last one. And I feel like we're going to have a, a really good conversation about this. So like I mentioned with the dealer's choice with me, I didn't, quite know where to factor this like i don't know if it's so bad it's good if it's actually good or like i have absolutely no idea where to put this and so i'm going to be talking or what i'm going to be uh, uh putting forward is r kelly's trap in the closet so i've been wanting to talk about this for a while i was actually going to have my buddy will come on because trapped in the closet was kind of like a meme between uh the swim team when i was because i was a, a collegiate swimmer as you all know and it was like a meme between us all when i was like a sophomore because i remember uh so a little backstory how i kind of found or stumbled upon trapped in the closet um was i feel like how most uh kids like when they're like elementary school how they kind of accidentally stumble upon good music and that's through weird al uh, Weird Al Yankovic. So I listened to, uh, what is it, Trapped in the drive through And when I, you know, got in middle school and high school and even in, in college, I was like, so I would hear a song. I'd be like, oh, like, Gangster's Paradise. That sounds a lot like Amish, uh, Amish Paradise. Like, what gives? And then, you know, look into more Weird Al stuff or like White and Nerdy or, you know, really anything. That And he still continues it. He's a genius. But so I really liked Trapped in the Drive-Thru, and I was like, okay, well, what is this song actually based on? And then I, I you know, looked up Trapped in the Closet, and I started watching it, and then I just fell down the rabbit hole of Trapped in the Closet. And before we get into Trapped in the Closet, I think we have to address the elephant in the room, and we kind of mentioned it with Pay It Forward, and that is R. Kelly. And like I said, I wanted to talk about this with my buddy Will, and then everything came out, like surviving R. Kelly, his interviews, like everything, like speculation became reality. And I was like, no, I don't even want to touch this anymore. And like, and even so much like with Kevin Spacey, I now 
view R. Kelly, like I have this, it just gets, leaves this awful taste in my mouth whenever I watch. And this goes for all artists, you know, like anything like, like, so Kevin Spacey, R. Kelly, for me, Michael Jackson, like Roman Polanski, and uh, Woody Allen, you hear this argument of separate the art from the artist. And I don't really like that because it, 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 I just I can't have that just like that that uh, separation like that that is still the person and they are like they're monsters for what they've done. So I guess going into like before we get into the trap in the closet, like what do you have to say about like you know R. Kelly and 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 how that influenced how you view trap in the closet? Because this I feel like this trap in the closet is a way of R. Kelly showcasing like what he thinks about women and people in general. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I actually couldn't finish this. I think I got through all of part one and then I had to, I had to tap out uh, because I mean, I, first of all, on the positive note, I love that you mentioned trapped in the drive-through because I was going to mention that too, because that, that to me is, is, that is all I need out of trapped in the closet because it's so brilliant that it takes this operatic over the top style that trapped in the closet has and then applies it to like the most mundane thing on the face of the earth it is just absolutely fantastic um yeah i mean r kelly's a he's a monster he's he's and and this is one of those where i i don't know that if you're still in denial about him being a monster i think you need to think about uh kind of your life because it's pretty clear that he's a monster and so it it casts uh, quite a sheen, uh, a pall over watching uh, Trapped in the Closet. You know, I remember his trial um, in Chicago uh, that he ended up being acquitted on, but I mean, I followed that intently, and that was when I first got the inclination that he was, because I mean, I, I was actually a pretty big R. Kelly fan in the 90s. You know, I, I loved I Believe I Can Fly. I thought his double album R was absolutely brilliant, um, but that was kind of when I, I realized that I can't in good conscience listen to this guy anymore. Um, and so, yeah, listening to trying to listen to this was, was a bit rough. And then on top of that, like you said, it, it really does reveal, I think some attitudes that are regressive to say the best. And certainly uh, just, I don't know, man, this is just the type of, of thing that I think somebody who, has completely lost touch with reality. You know, he has built his own little world where nobody questions him, nobody challenges him. And, and this is what we, that's what we start to get. We, we get not only his, his behaviors in real life, but him creating stuff like this. So I certainly would not blame anybody who didn't want to watch this, didn't want to have anything to do with it. I do think it's kind of an important historical record uh, given, you know, what we know about R. Kelly now, but uh, it certainly was a bit of a tough watch for me. Yeah. And it's, and why I wanted to talk about this is because I, like I said, I don't know whether or not it's good, whether it's like so bad, it's good. Like, I don't know where to classify this. Like, I don't know if it's a commentary on this, like, bump and grind, like, uh, like over dramatic music that R. Kelly is known for, or if it is just another iteration of this bump and grind, uh, like over dramatic music that he is known for. Like, I can't tell because, so it starts off trapped in the closet. Um, kind of like what, not that I expected, but it's a story about a man that is, that is cheating and he has to hide in the closet from a spouse. 
But then the story, so there's 33 episodes. I've only like seen the video of one through 22 and I just read what happens for uh, 23 through 33 because I couldn't find it. But now after I've read what happens, fuck it. You don't need to, you, you don't need to. Cause that's what you were saying. It's just this dude that no, he's surrounded by yes men and he just did whatever. He, he completely got away from what he had going on. And so, you know, you have these, these, I, these ideas of, okay, like spouses cheating on each other, like the consequences of that, but then it starts going, like it starts ex- escalating, escalating. And I remember watching the first episode and I was like, okay, like, this is pretty serious. Like there's some random moments in the, in the video that you're like, okay, whatever. But then the lyric that got me like, okay, this something's weird is when he says, I pulled out, it's like the husband comes in, he, he checked in the bathroom, he checked under the bed, he checked in the dresser, he approaches the closet. I pulled out my Beretta. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, you did what now? And then it just continues and continues with, the 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 husband of the person that he that uh, R Kelly is like the woman that he cheated with, her husband is a pastor who's gay. You go he goes home and his wife is cheating on him with a cop, and that's where I think he had like it ends with the neighbor coming up and I, that's where I'm like okay he's done and then it just keeps escalating and escalating where I'm like I feel like he just said how far can we take this. And that is, so you have those serious tones of like, you know, consequences of cheating. And even at the end of uh, 22, of, of part 22, there's this whole, like, this whole theme of the package. And they keep saying like, oh, who has the package? What's the package? And there's like, like, what's the package mean? And to me, it represents, and I think this is, I'm not the only one to theorize this. It represents HIV AIDS. And it, and it starts with, uh, with one of the characters it's insinuating he's in the hospital. I'm like, oh my God, like this is something, there's consequences to these actions. And like all these characters are infected with HIV AIDS. But then 23 through 33 just completely drops that point and they never bring it up again. And I was, and that's where I'm like, wait, so is there, is he actually trying to say something? But then he inter, he intersperses it with, he voices all the characters, including a Southern Belle. When you have characters like a name like Pimp Lucius, who speaks, he's a stuttering pimp, or uh, the, the old man character, Dale, I think, or I forget the name, and he's just this, like, Tyler Perry caricature of an older black man, and you're like, wait, what, what, where's the category? I have no idea where to classify this. I think it's more silly, and it has no purpose, but that's where I think the, the argument comes in, if, if this all is making sense. I know I'm kind of, like, all over the place. Yeah, no, and it, it, it's it's hard to not be all over the place. So I, I just looked up because I couldn't remember exactly what all I watched. So I watched the entire, I guess, chapter one. So I basically watched parts one through 12, uh, and that's where I gave up was, was after part 12. So I watched the first arc, if you will. And yeah, it just keeps escalating. You know, I, I actually mentioned this on a, another podcast I just recorded. This is the type, and this is the, the difficulty a bit with R. Kelly and, and Kevin Spacey and Polanski and some of these others. You know, R. Kelly is incredibly talented. This is the kind of bad thing that only a really talented person can make because it is so over the top and so singularly his vision for better or worse. 
that you know you do kind of have to give it a little bit of respect as much as it's it's ridiculous and it is completely ridiculous i love that you mentioned so i pulled out my beretta i'm not even a gun guy but even i noticed that he in the video he pulls out uh, uh 1911 45 <laughs> i'm like dude how lazy do you have to be that you literally say beretta in the song and can't be bothered to get a beretta to for the filming of this and that just to me is again that's that kind of incompetent filmmaking that is a hallmark of a lot of his stuff because there's no reason that should happen and it's a minor thing but it's the type of thing that tells you the quality of what you're about to watch um and then yeah i'm with you it's hard to know what he's trying to say here i'm not even sure he knows um, because there's parts of it where it could almost be read as a criticism of toxic masculinity, but then it immediately turns around and essentially becomes an advocation of toxic masculinity, right? Nobody better question Sylvester's manhood, you know? And so it's just kind of all over the place and a bit of a mess. And it's one that I think, I, I, I'm glad you recommended it because I do think it's interesting to talk about here. It's one that I I think if R. Kelly wasn't R. Kelly, this would be playing like midnight theaters around the nation, right? And college kids would be getting drunk and high and going and watching this and singing along and dressing up like the characters, almost Rocky Horror style. But because it's R. Kelly, it's kind of hard to take that kind of joy out of, out of watching it um yeah. because it's it it's total camp it's pure camp it's pure straightforward camp but every time you look at it you're looking at r kelly and it's just like well uh how many you know how many women is he keeping in his basement essentially while he's filming this um so it's it's a tough it's a tough uh thing did you watch surviving r kelly mike uh, I, I had seen bits, because uh, I, I, I think at the time I watched uh, 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 the Michael Jackson documentary, I think Leaving Neverland, Leaving Neverland. and yeah. that was depressing enough, where I was like, I, 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 I'll, I'll get to the R. Kelly one, but I'm like, this just makes me feel like so awful, and it makes me want to, because like, I, I have Thriller on vinyl, and it makes me want to burn the, the vinyl. Um, but it was my mom's and I'm like, ah, oh God, like this is so old, but I've definitely like, I put it, the thriller vinyl has been in the basement now, but it made me really reconsider like, wow, do I really want to ever listen to this guy's music again? So surviving R Kelly is next on the agenda when I'm, but I've been like emotionally preparing myself. And, and one of the things like, and especially in hindsight, when like there's, it, I know it happens more in like the first part, like when he finds out, when Sylvester finds out that his wife was cheating on him and then he comes back and is like, you better explain yourself. It's like, well, it's like, I'm speechless. Like, well, you're going to be breathless soon. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, especially knowing like who like, in, at, in the time, that's a really hard line to hear. And then knowing who R Kelly is, that's even worse when he's like, I'm going to strangle you because you cheated on me, even though he had done that. But then he like rewrites it so Sylvester didn't cheat on her. Like it's so convoluted. But yeah, it's definitely adding like his history is adding more context to what he's saying. Yeah, and and like I said, it really is too bad because it uh, it's too bad. It's not like we need trapped in the closet, but it is so camp and it could be so much fun. Um, but you know, and 
you know, you mentioned separating the art from the artist. It, it, you know, as you know, we've had conversations about this before. Like, I'm with you. I have a really hard time doing that, especially in a situation like this where the art is the artist. You know, it's one thing if it's an actor and they're just playing a role. I can sometimes kind of look the other way. And, and you know what? And sometimes if it's something that you kind of get to to love you know i i know a lot of people who their stance on woody allen is the movies that they grew up loving before they learned about what woody allen is they'll still watch because they're an important part of their lives but they don't support anything new that he makes everybody's got to come up with their own you know line what whatever they do and and anybody that thinks they can be consistent in that i think is is probably not being honest with themselves. I mean, I, I know I certainly like problematic uh, people. I still have a soft spot for Steven Seagal, the Steven Seagal movies I grew up watching, and he's just an absolute monster. So um, I guess what I was getting at on this one, though, is this one's tough because this is so much of R. Kelly. He's putting his heart and soul into this. So it's really hard to separate it because it is R. Kelly. This movie album, opera, whatever you want to call it, is him. And so it is kind of hard to get that distance, I feel like. It's the, the problem I have with Woody Allen uh, for me because Woody puts so much of himself into his movies that he's a little different than, say, Brett Ratner, who's a giant piece of shit. But I can still watch X-Men 3 or Rush Hour and not really feel like I'm seeing any Brett Ratner's not putting his heart and soul in anything. Brett Ratner doesn't have a heart to put into anything, you know? And so it's, it's a little different, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much more I, I have to say about it other than it's, if you can get the distance, man, light up a bud, pour a whiskey and, and, uh, and, and bask in the camp glory that is this thing. Cause it is ridiculous. Yeah, and I think you you said it perfectly well. I I couldn't have said it better than myself. So, yeah, it's it's definitely I think now one of those things that I mean I guess you can kind of have conversations like this. Like, is he trying to get at something? Is he not? Is he just full of shit? Which I think it's a mix of everything. But it's definitely something that if you get a little drunk, which a few of these movies I definitely drank a little bit. I had a little bit of liquid encouragement to get through them. But this definitely, especially with who are, what R. Kelly represents, that this is definitely something that, like, if you choose to watch it, like, these are some things you have to think about. But with that, we'll start wrapping up. But, uh, yeah, Mike, I, this was definitely a lot of fun. I, I, like I said, the whole episode, I knew having you on, like, you were the perfect person to be able to talk about, you know, movies like this or, or just things that are, you know, they, they range all over the gambit of, I guess, like, quote-unquote, like, shitty movies and and i don't even and i don't even think uh that's just kind of like a broad term because I, I feel like future cops or um like birdemic or or uh like uh whatever we've been talking about is not like they're not like shit but it's just under this umbrella term but no i've, I've had a lot of fun thanks for coming on man yeah, it's been great, man. I it's been a lot of fun too. And and yeah, I am known as you know for defending garbage movies. So and, and that is it. You know, we're using the term shitty movies. In some of them, like I really do think Pay It Forward is shitty, Amityville Haunting is shitty, but like make no mistake, 
folks, I unironically love Rocktober Blood. Like, I love, there's not a hint of irony in, in how I feel about that movie. I love that movie. I unironically, I don't want to say love Future Cops, but I unironically like it and appreciate it. And, and I unironically had a good time watching Birdemic. So, like, these aren't movies that we're saying aren't, we're not trying to do this sort of hipster, we're above it, thing by picking at these movies like these are at least some of these movies are ones that are legitimately a lot of fun to watch and 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 i think have some legitimate value and and it's actually funny because sadly i think trapped in the closet is probably the best quality wise of all of them but it might be the hardest one to be able to watch um but uh yeah yeah, it's I thanks for inviting me, man. This was a blast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything again said perfectly. Um, if if uh, people want to follow you, uh, listen to your content, follow you on uh, like social media, where can they find you? So the two best places on social media to find me are I am at Hibachi Justice on Twitter, and I am also at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd. You can hear me on the episodes of the Dana Buckler Show, uh, the 20th Century Movie Club. I am the co-host of that segment, uh, so follow the Dana Buckler Show. You can follow that at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter and, and follow the podcast um, and uh, check it out. You know, uh, Occasionally, I'm on other episodes. Mike, as you know, you and I did uh, Star Wars episode with Dana a little while ago um so follow me there all right perfect and yeah Mike we gotta get like as always you're always a welcome guest on here uh I feel like we gotta talk about like Scott Atkins sometime soon uh I I watched uh, Ninja 2 oh yeah yeah we gotta I'm like we and (laughs) we gotta definitely come back together uh and talk about Scott Atkins and 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 that's that's your man so whatever man that is my boy. I will talk about him for as long as anybody will listen to me. Yeah, so throw me recommendations, and then we'll get you back on, and we'll talk about Scott Atkins soon. Because I'm like, yeah, this we gotta, we gotta, have, we gotta have a conversation about him. All right, sounds good, buddy. All right, perfect. And yep, as always, guys, thanks for listening. That concludes this episode of Amateur Tours. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.